today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. One would think that the love of money would be an issue that uh, only the poor had. You know, they're, they're, they're desiring more money. But it's actually just the opposite. The love of money comes mostly into the hearts and the minds of those who have money. Because how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And the more they have, the more they, they want in the midst of it. The more money they gain, the more in reality the money has a hold of them and begins impacting their lives in that way. Paul tells us that we all simply need to learn to be content wherever we are and with whatever we have. Are you content with what you have? In today's message from Pastor David, he reminds us the importance of being content. One would think that the love of money would only come from those who lack. However, it's oftentimes those who have plenty that the love of money consumes. Once they have more, it's never enough and the striving continues. The love of money becomes a trap and leads to enslavement. Let's be sure to be content with what we have and wherever we are today. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Contented Slaves. prepared for this, I came across an article by a fellow by the name of Mako Nakasawa. Mako Nakasawa. He's a Japanese-American, okay? But he's a director of New Humanity Institute. He's also an accomplished author in areas of Christian ethics, theology, biblical studies, and early church history. One of his many articles is Slavery and Christianity, First to the 15th Centuries. And in that, he writes these words. Despite what some have taken to be Paul's naive endorsement of slavery, it was the Christian faith which led to the dismantling of slavery in Europe, bearing in mind that the earliest Christians had to navigate being in non-Christian households and societies and governments. That Christian ethics cannot be and were never simply translated into public policy, and that Christians were called by Jesus not to judge non-Christians or hold Christian ethics over non-Christians. Nevertheless, slavery ended in medieval Europe only because the church extended its sacraments to all slaves and then managed to impose a ban on the enslavement of Christians and also of Jews. Now, he continues on a little bit later, but in the same article, he writes these words. Slaves of the Roman Empire came from military conquests, birth to slave parents, rescue from infanticide, international trade, piracy and kidnapping, penal servitude, and voluntary servitude. 
Many slaves would have been children or elderly without the means to live in freedom. From a practical standpoint alone, given the function of slavery in all of its forms and its magnitude, it would have been impossible for the Christian community to carry out a categorical command to emancipate the slaves. So what we understand from this, when we look both biblically, we look historically, we look culturally, socially, in every aspect of what was going on in the Roman Empire, we come to this understanding that Paul in no way condoned slavery, but he did understand that it was the law of the day, it was the culture of the day, and Christianity as a new birth, as a a new reality within that culture, was only beginning to make inroads within the culture itself. The importance of his writings on the subject, though, did help to show both the slave and the master how to live as true and honest representatives of Jesus Christ in the culture in which they found themselves in order that the name of God and his doctrine would not be blasphemed difficult thing. They're in a culture totally different than ours. We can't even imagine that. But the fact is, is they were in a situation, yeah, it was deplorable. So how do you live in that situation for the glory of Christ? See, we live in relative freedom in our day, in our culture. But there are those in the world even today that are under the same kind of oppression, if not worse, than what was going on in the first century. Is the gospel real to them also? Or is it only to 21st century middle America to where there are not these kinds of struggles? Beloved, I submit to you this morning that the gospel is real, it is powerful, and it is effective whatever the culture, whatever the situation of life. Whether you are slave or free, whether you are imprisoned or rather, again, you have that freedom to be able to go wherever, whenever. That the gospel itself impacts the individual. The gospel itself was never intended to change the culture. It was intended to change the individual in whatever culture they lived in. That's why we can take the truth of God's word and bring it into developing countries and proclaim the same truth to them that I proclaim to you this morning. That's why we can take the gospel message and take it into oppressive cultures like a a North Korea or in a Middle Eastern world that is completely covered by Islam with absolutely no freedom. And we can speak the same truth of the gospel message to them as we do to you this morning. What Paul is saying is that the way that both the slave and the master lived their life in the midst of the culture that they lived was a clear declaration of the reality of Christ and the true hope of the gospel. How does that relate to you and I in the 21st century, though? How does that speak to me? I'm, you know, I've never been in slavery. None of my family, so far as I know, has ever been in slavery. How do I deal with that today here? Well, there's a lot that look at these verses, and actually they find a common parallel here to what we know as the employee-employer relationship, some in good ways and some in bad ways. 
You can actually go back through nearly every one of these verses that we've just read, and we understand that the attitudes and the actions that are commended by both Peter and Paul can be and should be the very same attitudes today of employee and employer. Bear with me a moment as I run through a few of these that we just looked at. Here, the very passage that we're looking at this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to change a couple of words, but understand that the principle of the thing still works together. As Paul is writing in the first century to slaves and masters, we fast forward it to the 21st century. Would the words be similar to this? If you are employed by a company and get a regular paycheck from them, you need to count your employer worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Let me stop right there. Just in life and experience, how many times have we heard others or perhaps ourselves speak poorly about the one that we receive a paycheck from every week? And yet Paul is saying, no, you honor them for the glory of Christ. Not because they're worthy of the honor, not because they're due the honor, but for the glory of Christ so that the name of God is not blasphemed, so that the doctrines of God or not blaspheme. But he goes on. It's not just to the employee. Verse 2, he says, and those who have believing employers, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Can you imagine as an employee, and this will be easier for most of us to imagine, an employee who is a believer, and you have an employer who is a believer. Let's think for a moment. In our, in, our, in our natural mind, we kind of expect a little better treatment from him, don't we? I mean, he's a, he's a brother in Christ. How come he's talking to me that way? How come he's yelling at me? How come, how come he gave me that job? I'm his brother in Christ. We can get kind of that way, but what he's saying here is, man, don't despise them. Don't, don't, don't speak bad about them because they are your brother. No, understand, serve them. Because, you know, as a brother or a sister in Christ, whoever the employer is, Others are going to be benefited from it. Let me quickly go through. Look at the, or just think of the verse that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul tells him, let each one of you remain in the same calling in which he was called. Whether you were called while an employee, then don't be concerned about it. But if you can become self-employed, hey, go for it. So he gives that freedom, but at the same time, employment or non-employment, that's not the issue. The culture isn't even the issue. It's how you live your life. It's the attitude of your life. Ephesians, employees, be obedient to those who are your employers, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is an employee or an employer. And you employers, do the same thing to your employees, giving up threatening knowing that your own master also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Realize again, what is our attitude in the situation that we find ourselves? What can the attitude be of those that find themselves in a much worse situation? Not giving credence to the situation, but understanding that our lives, no matter where we find our lives, beloved, the important thing is how we live our lives to the glory of Christ in whatever situation. Now let's get back to Timothy here, chapter six. Because again, here Paul 
kind of after he makes these statements, the first couple of verses, he now returns to the issue at hand. And the issue at hand actually is false teachers that were coming into that fellowship. He knew that Timothy was going to receive a lot of pushback from those that were proclaiming these false doctrines throughout the church and the impact that they were making within the church. And he wanted to assure Timothy that those that stood in opposition to the warnings that he had shared with him or the doctrine that he's been proclaiming through this message, he wanted to let Timothy know, no, you need to understand they are walking in rebellion against God and they are sinful in their actions. And that's why he confirms to Timothy in verse three. He says, if anyone teaches other Otherwise, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accounts with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife and rivaling and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself." Paul understood that these false teachers would come in with their pride and with their arrogance. They would push the envelope of patience as they tried to twist and turn and remove the truth from the words that Paul had declared to Timothy and also to the church there at Ephesus. And he warns Timothy, you cannot allow them to overrun the truth of the message. You need to, first of all, fully reject that false teaching that they bring in. And if necessary, secondly, remove them from the fellowship. When he says, from such withdraw yourself, he's not telling Timothy, hey, if those false teachers persist, you need to leave there. No, what he's saying, Timothy, you're responsible there. You need to get rid of them. They need to leave the fellowship. These false teachers they were the ones, as he says, they, they, they felt that they could make a profit, a financial profit from the gospel, a financial gain. They believed that their pretense of godliness was a means of gain. And Paul says, from such, withdraw yourself. Paul explains to Timothy really what true godliness is and that true godliness has its own reward. Look at verse six. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and in perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One would think that the love of money would be an issue that uh, only the poor had. You know, they're, they're, they're desiring more money. But it's actually just the opposite. The love of money comes mostly into the hearts and the minds of those who have money. Because how much is enough? Just a little bit more just a little bit more. And the more they have, the more they they want in the midst of it. The more money they gain, the more in reality the money has a hold of them and begins impacting their lives in that way. Paul tells us that we all simply need to learn to be content wherever we are and with whatever we have. He tells the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter four, he says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased. In other words, to have absolutely nothing. 
and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Beloved, outside of contentment with where we're at, everything else will lead us into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. And you can easily see the progress, but actually it's not progress, it's degress. It's, it's coming into repressiveness. You can see how it flows when suddenly, first of all, there's the temptation, and then there's the trap, and then from that comes destruction and perdition. In, in Paul's own, own words, you can actually even almost see a, a wild animal that, that's just out in the forest, and he comes upon this trap that's been set by a hunter, and here this trap is wide open and ready. It's, it's got some bait in the middle of it, but that animal wise to just his surroundings. He comes up and he sees that trap, but there's a light that goes off and there's, there's something wrong here. And you've possibly seen the, the films of it, how they'll circle around that trap. They, they sense the goodness of the bait that's inside there, but they also sense that there's something wrong. And so they'll circle around it, circle around until pretty soon the sense, the taste, the smell, the allurement of that bait gets them to where they will take that chance. And as they take that chance to grab that bait, bam, the trap closes. First the temptation, then the snare or the trap that then leads to destruction or perdition. The trap is set. They've got caught within the trap. Try as they might, they cannot free themselves by their own power. And when it's time, the hunter comes to check the trap, and then the complete and the final destruction of the animal follows shortly thereafter. The temptation leads to the trap, which leads to destruction. Sad reality is, that's right where these false teachers live. As a matter of fact, anyone who is not content in Jesus, the fact is, is you're already caught in the trap. If you're not 100% content in Jesus and you're looking for other things, you're already caught in that trap, the trap of discontentment, the trap of pride, the trap of conceit, the trap of envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction. You're caught in that trap because of the very attitudes. And Paul says, stray from the faith because of greediness, and it's pierced them through with many sorrows, just like a trap that's come and closed on the wild animal. For these false teachers at this point in time, are they lost? I don't know. That's not my call. That's God's call. But the one thing we can be confident of, they're certainly not enjoying the journey at all. Because at this point in time, enough is never enough. They're, they're miserable because they're discontented with life. They're always searching for the next big thing, doing whatever they can grab a hold of. And they do not allow Jesus to set them free. And because of that, in due season, they're going to reap the reward of sin and rebellion. Let me fast forward from the first century to the 21st century. It breaks my heart when I see those who are declared or announced as 
evangelists or pastors or teachers or spokesmen, whatever it is, that again have have put themselves in the forefront and as popularity of their ministry or of their message grows, their finances continue to grow more and more and more until we're speaking about multiple houses, we're speaking about the jets, we're speaking about just, again, the the opulence of their lives, the financial gain that, again, Paul is speaking about here. It breaks my heart when I hear those that started out with such humble beginnings and because Christ has blessed them, because their ministry has grown, they've actually stepped away from the focus of contentment in Christ and suddenly more is necessary, more is asked for, and more and more comes into their lives. Are they lost? As I said, that's not my call. But I don't know how they can live a life with the fullness of joy that God has called for us when it seems like their main focus is not being content with the things of Christ, but their focus is on building bigger and better and more. Beloved, that's no way to live our lives. Whether you're in ministry or whether you are, again, one who's just serving the Lord as truck driver or carpenter or or in an office or at a home taking care of children. It's no way to live our life with this lack of contentment. The Word of God calls for each of us to learn patience and to learn contentment. We learn patience. We learn contentment. It doesn't come naturally to us. I've shared with you guys before, my, my middle name is Patient. Problem is, my first name is No. So I, I have to learn patience because I'm always, I'm, I'm ready for whatever it is. I, I just, I'm just ready for it. I would love to be able to tell you that your, your pastor is, is always content. Everything is just fine. But you know what? I battle in the flesh too. I have to learn contentment. I have to learn patience. Beloved, when I am patient, those two or three days a year. Uh, when, when I am patient, when I am content, you know what? That's when I really feel the peace of Christ in my life. But when I'm struggling, when I'm impatient, and man, my, I'm, I'm trying to figure out and I'm trying to do on my own, there's no peace there because I've not allowed his contentment to be a part of my life. God has called for us to live our lives as the doulos, as the bondservants, as the slaves of Christ. How many slaves go to their masters and say, hey, you know what, I don't really like this. We need to do a little bit more of this. I need to grain a little. No, that's, that's not the case. Fortunately, we have a loving master in our Lord. But we need to live our lives completely surrendered and content to him. We need to be at rest in the Lord Jesus without that constant striving for the things of this world. Beloved, otherwise the enemy sets the snare and the trap closes and we are pierced through with many sorrows. How about you in your life? Have you learned to be satisfied in Christ? Have you learned to be content in relationship with him? Regardless of the culture, Regardless of your situation within the culture, our peace, our completeness is found in Him. Open our hearts, change us 
We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor David's study in the book of 1 Timothy. This book is filled with valuable instruction for church leadership, yet holds plenty of instruction for Christians in general. We can all be leaders in our own sphere of influence, and studying 1 Timothy will give us great insight into God's values in this area. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message on the open word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this program, Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, the Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared. Just go to theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teaching with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our website, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website, once again, is theopenword.com. That's all we have time for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Timothy, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.